This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Yes, it is true that we are in the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. And we are also in one of the greatest revolutions. Thomas Jefferson said a a democracy needs a revolution every 200 years. (laughs) We're a little overdue, but here we go. And yes, more importantly, or more bigly, (laughs) we are in a reckoning. Seriously. A reckoning, a reckoning of so many topics, of politics, of tribalism, of our journey toward racial appreciation, pervasive expectation of cooperative shared power structures, equality, in other words, income and economic equality. And a big one, lots of stories today about where we're moving in our effort to have mutually beneficial sexual relations instead of just a harassment uh, scare, upheaval, reckoning. Seriously, that's what uh, the Me Too segued right into the reckoning because there's tons of progress on that. And some surprises, some stuff went down that really exemplifies how serious this is and how lasting this is going to be. This is not something that is going to be even remotely possible of being swept under the rug or forgotten about. This is a lurch forward that will be undeniable and significant. Already is. There's tons of progress there. That's in the headlines. I'll have that. And also today on Jeff's World, World, Possibility Politics, a product of Jeff's World Media, it's uh, year-end review time. So I have the biggest lies of the year. At least the top three, according to uh, viewer polls and uh, the experts at PolitiFact. I have a moment that unified us left to right. little audio that'll make you go, yeah, we are getting it together. Also, what's next for the Republican tax cut bill as they try to rush it through before the year is out? How they're trying to rush it through, the fascinating <laughs> machinations of that and what the fate of it is. And we'll probably remind again why why they're doing it. Also, a little fun. Instead of snakes on a plane, there was a story of uh, graciousness on a plane, (laughs) courtesy of one of the classiest famous people and her entertaining husband. That's all going to be coming up today on Possibility Politics, a place where we feelize our way to a saner future. But first, uh, let's go ahead and start jumping into the one of the biggest story that's where. (laughs) You should go home to Greenbow, Alabama. Greenbow. Thank you, Forrest. One more time. Can I hear that again, please? (laughs) You should go home to Greenbow, Alabama. (laughs) Sorry, I love Forrest Gump. Alabama, where the big loser wasn't Republican or Democrat, but tribalism. The honorably earnest Doug Jones, as you know, defeated the perpetually persecuted Roy Moore. Ah, Strong in the judgment, I know, even for me. But sometimes you just observe it and you call it what it is. And in the interest of calling what it is, uh, allow me to set up in case you've missed the story from the great Jimmy Kimmel. The special election actually turned out to be a, a very special election after all. Last night, Doug Jones beat Roy Moore to become the first uh, Democrat. 
senator from Alabama since 1992. It was a major upset. A Republican losing to a Democrat. Since 1992, when Richard Shelby was elected as a Democrat, and he immediately became a Republican and changed parties. Carry on. Democrat in Alabama is like a grizzly bear losing to a fish. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Unless the Republican happens to be so creepy around young girls, he was banned from the local mall. If the Republican you're running against is not allowed inside Forever 21, your odds of winning increase significantly. It is kind of depressing that in 2017, barely not electing an alleged pedophile to the Senate is something to celebrate, but we'll take what we can get at this point. Even though he lost by a point and a half percentage-wise, Roy Moore refused to concede, and uh, on top of that, while he was refusing to concede, his horse got towed. It was very sad. <laughs> not only didn't he concede last night, as of our showtime tonight, he still hasn't conceded. He said God will decide when it's over. Well, guess what? God decided... It's over. God went home. God's sitting on his couch watching Netflix right now. It's done. And of course, no special election would be complete without analysis from Fox and Friends. Some people saw what happened last night as a rejection of President Trump, who actively endorsed Roy Moore, but not Fox and not his friends. Jones caught a break when all these allegations came out against Judge Moore. The environment was, was really bad. The story, I felt like, was very, it was just horrific. It was hard for women especially to go to the polls and vote for him, even though those allegations were just allegations, and even though it happened so long ago, this was not a referendum on Trump. I feel like it was a referendum on Harvey Weinstein. Right. Weinstein. Uh, whatever, something Jewy, whoever he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so not long after they announced Doug Jones... When it was winning, I, of course, went directly to Donald Trump's Twitter account to see what he had to say. And I was surprised to find this. He wrote, congratulations to Doug Jones and a hard-fought victory. The write-in votes played a very big factor, but a win is a win. The people of Alabama are great. The Republicans will have another shot at this seat in a very short period of time. It never ends. He was gracious. He was tasteful. He didn't insult it. But it means there's no way he wrote one word of that tweet. But right. I would guess that while the president was dipping a chicken finger in ketchup, Ivanka grabbed his phone and tweeted that. But then this morning he was back to his old self. He wrote, the reason I originally endorsed Luther Strange and his numbers went up mightily is that I said Roy Moore will not be able to win the general election. I was right. Roy worked so hard but the deck was stacked against him, which is really absolutely perfect. Only Donald Trump could say, remember when I was wrong? I was right. <laughs> and the idea that the deck, the deck was stacked against the Republican in Alabama, does Donald Trump know how a stacked deck works? That's, maybe this is why his casinos went bankrupt. Oh my gosh, you know, as a lifetime comedian, it, it, it's just so easy. Comedy now, you just tell the truth with a tiny bit of exaggeration and and perspective, and it's funny. Uh, thank God it's funny, because if you're a Roy Moore supporter, if you were one of these faithful Trump folks who wanted to get on the bandwagon and help Donald Trump, he just threw you under the bus. I was right. Moore is terrible. There was no way he was going to win. So his, his narcissism and need to be right superseded uh, all of his supporters who followed him off the cliff. Which is nice, right? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this was such a big deal on so many levels. The numbers coming out of Alabama of, of who voted when and how, I, I want to break it down. And I also want to give a little uh, perspective to the Democrats who think, oh, yeah, we got this. This is easy because <laughs> there are still some realities that have to be dealt with. Gerrymandering uh, that and also about uh, the Republican tax bill uh, when we return to possibility politics. 
This is the mind-expanding experience known as Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Juan Velasquez, for putting the show together. And uh, thank you, Alabama! Oh, wow. Uh, you know, this is a win-win for, for Democrats, basically, um, for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, it's, it's deep red Alabama, the south of the south, right? And they still won! Doug Jones won. And for those who are digesting all the numbers... Pretty amazing stuff. Um, you know, Doug Jones, first of all, ran with Joe Trippi as his, as his uh, campaign manager, a longtime uh, political strategist uh, on, on the left there. They killed it. They literally made two million some odd phone calls, knocked on several hundred thousand doors. They had one of the best ground games. And it's amazing because, you know, Alabama up to this point, um, it's been a foregone conclusion since the 90s, since before the 90s, since the 80s, really, of who was going to win. The Republican, the white Republican was going to win every time, effectively, except in one district, the Alabama 7th, uh, where they have caged all the black folks. Let me explain that in a second. But um, they ran a campaign that uh, mind blowing, just Amazing. So much groundwork, so much get out the vote. In the, When Obama was running, and it was obviously the highest turnout of Democratic and specifically black voters in Alabama, he got about, there was about 28% of the vote. That was a high watermark. First it was 26 and 28% of the vote between the Obama elections where uh, was, was black folks. And, you know, of course, in Alabama, it's, it didn't change uh, the, what happened locally because of the way they've structured and such. But this time, 30% on an off-year election in a rant. December 12th. I mean, that's not even, nobody Nobody wants to go out and vote, and they, and they did. And they did it for themselves. This, Although it has a national referendum, and, and the sales pitch from Donald Trump was, well, vote for Roy Moore because we need, this, we need the seat. Which, by the way, is not inspiring. Uh, I need my vote. Not he, didn't, he couldn't say, Roy Moore is great because he does this and this and this, and he's so inspiring, and he's so going to be so wonderful because he'll bring these ideas and these policies. No, you couldn't say any of that stuff. Instead, you just said, hey, I need one more vote, and I want to be a winner, and you'll make me a winner if you vote for him. So it became narcissism again. And so, you know, they got the faithful. But here's one of the things that turned out. First of all, uh, Judd, uh, Doug Jones who he got 98% of the vote of black women and 93% of the vote of black men in Alabama. And Roy Moore got two-thirds of the white women in Alabama. And there was a great uh, tweet that, judge for yourself, it's probably kind of racially insensitive, it isn't helping, but it is a fascinating commentary on the hypocrisy. It said that if if two-thirds of black women had voted for an accused pedophile, what would they be saying about black women and who they are voting for pedophiles, right? But two-thirds of black women, but white women did. And so that's a good question. Well, you know, obviously it's deep. It was tribalism. It was tribalism first and foremost. That was definitely the most prevailing wind. And a lot of people did write-in candidates and uh, Doug Jones's victory was almost equal, I think, to those write-in candidates, so it, write-in votes. So it may not have even made a difference. If you put all the write-ins back on Roy Moore, it might have uh, put him over the top. It's definitely suspicious or definitely close. Uh, I don't know what the final count is there. But the point is, is that everybody got woke. <laughs> uh, and I, again, I'm not saying a win for Democrats is better than a win for Republicans. It's not important about the party. The point is, is that if you're choosing between, again, as I phrase it, the, the honorable, earnest Doug Jones and the perpetually persecuted, persecuted Roy Moore. 
This is a guy who has done nothing but disappoint the people of Alabama, by, banned from the Supreme Court bench and then reelected again. First for first banned, if you recall, for refusing to remove the Ten Commandments from his um, courtroom as demanded by the Supreme Court, and then and he was removed and then elected back in by the people barely. And then he was removed again by his peers in the Supreme Court, which are mostly Republicans. Mostly Republicans removed him the second time for not following the Supreme Court rule to uh, accept gay marriage. So two for two. And then, of course, he was cheating his donators to his Christian charity by siphoning off well over a million bucks in, quote unquote, salaries for himself and his family members all while telling them, I don't take a dime of this. This is all going to the good people of Alabama. That was just a lie. I believe that would be the ninth commandment. Thou shall not bear false witness. So, (laughs) just say it, just say it. And then, so that's the good news. The good news is this was a wave and it's happening in a lot of places. Also in Iowa, for, you know, in Oklahoma and in Kansas, there's all these different, there's been these special elections, which is the only measure we have. In Iowa, I think it was about a total of five races for state, for local, uh, for state, uh, you know, uh, legislature, for the part of their state assembly. And of those five races, the Republicans won. These were Republican runs. Um, they still won. But in places where Donald Trump won by 70% of the vote, 68% of the vote, you know, these kind of massive numbers. There was a they these guys this time barely won. They barely won in the low 50s, 50, 51, 55%. The average shift in those districts in Iowa, Republican strongholds, was a 32-point shift away from the Republican Party. That means that it's a combination of Republicans not wanting to vote for him and stayed home, and Democrats being incredibly energized, and some Republicans. Just in the same way they used to say Reagan Democrats, those Democrats who came over and, and gave Reagan the landslide, that is of 84. That is happening in the opposite with Donald Trump, who is now a giant weight on the Republican Party. And they're in serious trouble because he is a, a multiple loser now. Everyone he has endorsed <laughs> has lost especially in Alabama, but in other races as well. In Virginia, he endorsed and made a big thing about Ed Gillespie, lost to Ralph Northam, Democrat. You know, And this is shaping up to where Donald Trump no longer has any clout. And the way you know that, because they were afraid of him. For the longest time, the Republican Party was afraid of Trump supporters. They were afraid of their own supporters. You know, For years, all the way back to Karl Rove, they, they rallied him up into a frenzy of liberal hatred and Democrat hatred and tribalism, which worked, you know, it got him elected, it got him fired up. You know, in 2010, it was like, we got to hate Obama. And, but the difference between 2010 and what 2018 is, is the way it's being responded. The, the protesters are completely different. You say, no, they're not. It's still the same kind of vitriol. Well, here's the difference. In 2010, I'm watching all these town halls, remember? And they're, because they were trying to pass healthcare reform. And there's this freak out, you know, it's like, oh, they're going to have death panels. They're going to take all your insurance away. All the freak outs were not accurate. They were these kind of Fox News, Newsmax, Drudge Report generated stuff that didn't actually appear in the bill, nor ever came to fruition. And it was revealed thinly that mainly their opposition was they didn't want a black guy and a bunch of Democrats running the government. It was the other tribe. They hated it. And so somebody says it's death panels. They go, cool, let's go yell about that. And there were a lot of, I hate to say this, there's what they call astroturf, not just grassroots um, efforts in 2010 where they were paid to show up and paid to go to town halls and disrupt things. 
Well, the amount of disruption in 2010 it pales in comparison to the disruption now. The Republicans that are running for Congress, they can't even have town halls, as you know, because they are just uh, uh, bombarded. And in the Capitol, it is kind of a constant, clever protest. It's not just them going, this tax cut's going to kill babies. They're not making stuff up. They're saying there's protesting with specific grievances about what it does based on the actual verbiage because it is such a horrible and ugly tax cut. Now, back to Alabama for a second. We're going to get to the tax cut in a minute here, but back to Alabama. They uh, had a big sweeping election, as you know, but... You've heard the word gerrymandered. Everything is so gerrymandered, so structured. You know, again, these are these cases where in a, like Wisconsin or, 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 or uh, Minnesota, not Minnesota so much, but uh, obviously Alabama, where let's say you had 11 seats. Uh, Wisconsin's a great example. 11 seats, seven of them went to Republicans, four of them went to Democrats, even though the total vote count for Congress members in that state was five points higher for Democrats and Republicans. In other words, they had a majority of votes for Democrats, and yet they structured the districts by putting all the Democrats in one, two or three. Now, again, the Supreme Court is ruling on that right now, but everyone expects that they will not rule on it for 2018. So there will be one more election, at least, where it will be composed of the racially caged, partisan caged elections. So, uh, for instance, take uh, take Alabama, right? There is, if you look at the map of Alabama, you got a total of seven different congressional districts. What they did in the seventh district is they covered what they called the black belt. I know it sounds where all the black folks are. Now that's not actually intended to mean that. Meaning that, okay, because the black belt, I'll just read the, I'll read the paragraph because they make it sense. Uh, Mother Jones covered this well. Alabama's 7th Congressional District, the only one with a Democratic representative in Alabama, contains nearly a third of all the state's black voters, ensuring that it's strongly Democratic, while the other two-thirds are scattered among the state's six other districts, making them a tiny minority with little political voice. To achieve this clustering, the sprawling 7th District covers a large swatch of swath of central Alabama where the state's black belt is. Now, the black belt is named for the dark color of its soil in the rural area, not because of the people. But man, you can't help but see the irony of that. Anyway. That is home to many of the rural-majority black counties. But the district is not just rural. Instead, this district is carved so that its tendrils go out to Birmingham in the north, Montgomery to the east, and Mobile to the south, scooping up all the black areas in the cities from across the state into a single bizarrely shaped district. That is why Democrats are up against to take, that's what they're up against to take the House back, is this this disgusting caging of black folks. Black folks. What does that mean? Well, fortunately, when you're seeing 32-point shifts in in elections, there will be 30 or 40 or 50 seats, and the Democrats only need, uh, what do they need to flip, 20-something, 23, 24, 4? There will be 40-something seats that will not be able to survive that kind of a swing. There will be others where a congressman who's normally used to winning with 70% of the vote will win with 52 to 55% of the vote, but they'll still win. But statewide elections, like we saw just in Alabama, will not be avoidable. 
the Republicans are screwed on that. And that's where the Senate could easily flip back. The House could flip back because of those 40 to 50 to 70, really about 75 vulnerable Republicans right now as a result of this climate. That will shift back and they'll probably get the House back, but they'll also probably get the Senate back. In fact, in Alabama, after this win, uh, Marika Jones, who's the uh, congressman from that 7th district, had this great quote where she says, we're coming after uh, Governor Kay Ivey. Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama, woman, white woman, for what that's worth. I don't want to gender, j- judge her by her race or her gender. But she famously during this controversy said, I believe the women who were accusing Roy Moore, but then said, we have to vote for Roy Moore. He's by far the best candidate. We need a Democrat. And Everybody in the state is going, we will remember that, and we're going to hold you. And she is up in 2018. Imagine the moment when Alabama elects a Democratic governor, and they got some good candidates. That's the other difference. Other things that are going on. For the first time in 26 years in Texas, every single congressional district is being contested by a Democrat. And you say, why don't they always No, actually these districts were been so gerrymandered so thickly for so long that folks just didn't even run. But there are so many excited people that are so fired up that they're running everywhere. There's almost no districts. I don't know of any yet. We're going to find out, get some better numbers as we get closer. It's still early, but it looks like every single district everywhere in this country, all 435 are going to be, have multiple Democrats or independents. A lot of third party folks too coming in saying, I don't want to be vote associated with either, but I definitely want to uh, point out that the, the folks that are running it are not running it well. And so this is all hung around. And as a result, Donald Trump now is losing all his political clout. Case in point, You probably heard this. He put up two judicial nominees for the federal bench, one of whom has never seen the inside of a courtroom. Okay, both of whom were uh, considered by the Bar Association as being unfit to be lawyers. That's how unqualified they are. But what they do believe in is rabid anti-gay, rabid anti-abortion. They're chosen by Pence. Trump doesn't know the difference. These are Pence's people to create a religious state. Well, they were put up for nomination, and Chuck Grassley, who has, you know, towed the, the tribalist party line more than more times than not, especially in the case of Judge Gorsuch, remember him, when they, uh, when they refused, he happily refused to let Merrick Garland be up for a vote. Anyway, he has pulled their nominations and asked Donald Trump to find new ones because he's not willing to go down with that ship. He sees that, that Trump's base cannot be riled up and will not turn into votes on Election Day because if you can't win Alabama, you can't win anywhere. So coming up, the tax cut bill, where that is, how it's going to move forward as a result of this Doug Jones election. This is fascinating. It always is right here on Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the place where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the lens of possibility, purpose, and a little sarcasm. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, producing the show. Thanks, Premier Networks. And um, so, the tax cut bill. <laughs> They're trying to rush it through because they don't want to give uh, tax cuts to millionaires and billionaires for Christmas, I guess. And they're reconciling the two versions. As you know, you know, they passed one through the House, passed one through the Senate. And you say, God, why do these people go for it? Why do these senators go for it on just a handshake and a promise that they couldn't even keep? Because they just wanted to move it along. And then they thought it would be worked out in reconciliation. Well, it's being worked out. And I don't know if um, uh, they're going to be able to pull it off. Uh, but one thing that might help them pull it off, because already the protests are extensive, that might help them off 
is whether or not Doug Jones casts a vote, right? Because now instead of being 52-48 with a Republican majority in the Senate, it'll be 51-49 as a result. And that gives them two votes or one vote to spare because after the second vote, then it's 49. Because, you know, as you know, a tiebreaker, if it's 50-50 vote, uh, Mike Pence comes in being considered the tiebreaker. Vice president's always a tiebreaker. In case you already didn't already know that, there's a little civics. Uh, So what is that? What happened? Well, let's tell you a fun little story. Mitch McConnell, now you might recall, he is now, he, have you ever heard, he is saying that he's not necessarily going to seat Doug Jones until after the first of the year. He's going to wait till, and I, and I mark my words, here's my prediction. They will not get the tax cut done before the end of the year. It's a good chance that the reconciliation will not be satisfactory to Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins or Rob Portman, some of these, these Republicans, uh, of course, Bob Corker and even John McCain. Some of these folks who are not feeling good about giving giant tax cuts to rich people and not and screwing uh, poor people in the process. Uh, you know, with the, what it's doing to health care, it could cause uh, 13 million people to lose their health insurance because they get rid of the Obamacare mandate. So... All of these things are controversial, and it may com- prevent them from getting it through in the first place. And if they don't get it through, Rich McConnell is just weaselly enough to not seat Doug Jones and just keep him out of the Senate. And not and you say, well, he can't do that. I mean, he's constitutionally required to you know s- to certify and swear in new senators that are elected legally and fairly, right? Yeah, that's right. He is required of that. He's also required, as you may recall. That when a Supreme Court vacancy occurs, he's required to provide advice and consent and confirm the nominee of the sitting president. But you remember what he did at uh, when there was three when when Judge Judge Alito died. So I'm sorry, Scalia died, and there was 341 days left in Obama's presidency for him to nominate. And what he did, of course, Merrick Garland. And this was uh, Mitch McConnell's response. Our view is this. Give the people a voice in filling this vacancy. So let's give them a voice. Let's let the American people decide. So he said we're not going to do a Supreme Court justice, right? Because we have to let the people decide and vote in 2016. And then when you get a new president and they were going to take their chances, they get a Republican, right? Which they did. Well, Chuck Schumer spoke in, of course, the leader, majority leader of the Senate, saying, uh, well, we should have Doug Jones seated. Doug Jones seated immediately, right? It would be wrong for Senate Republicans to jam through this tax bill without giving the newly elected senator from Alabama the opportunity to cast his vote. Yeah, right? Right? Let Doug Jones come in and cast his vote. He's now the newly elected senator, and that's how it works. Well, protesters have been filling the Capitol with their voices about whether or not they should <laughs> continue with Jones. Check this out. No Jones! No vote! No Jones! No vote! No Jones! No vote! No Jones! No vote! Amazing. Uh, although I just read some breaking news. Apparently, uh, Paul Ryan says that they have a tentative tax cut deal. I don't know. Tentative? What that means? We'll see. Maybe they'll get it through right away with this thing. But in the meantime, again, they say they want to ram it through before Doug Jones shows up. And let's go back. Let's see if this is how this kind of tests on the hypocrisy meter. <laughs> now, there was an occurrence. Now, like we, we made the point that, you know, the Supreme Court, uh, Mitch McConnell said that people need to be heard. Now, you could argue that 
They're not the same. Supreme Court is a lifetime appointment. It's a big deal. Whereas a vote on a tax cut bill uh, with with a senator isn't necessarily similar, right? Well, there was a time back in 2010 when Obama and the Democrats were trying to get through the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And Mitch McConnell made it very... Now, at that time, Scott Brown, they had a special election because Ted Kennedy died in Massachusetts and Massachusetts elected Republican Scott Brown. Remember, and he was short-lived. He was immediately replaced by Elizabeth Warren in the very next election cycle and henceforth has been held by Elizabeth Warren. But here's what Mitch McConnell said back then. It's been a long time, a very long time, since the people of Massachusetts sent a Republican uh, to the Senate. The voters have spoken. They want a course correction. We should listen to them. We need to move in a new direction, a dramatically new direction. That's the message of Massachusetts. <laughs> so Mitch McConnell says you got to let Scott Brown vote. And so did the Democrats do that? Well, let's go to President Obama back in January of 2010 when this was all going down. Here's one thing I know, uh, and I'll, I just want to make sure that this is off the table. Uh, the Senate shouldn't, certainly shouldn't try to jam anything through until Scott Brown is seated. People in Massachusetts spoke. Uh, he's got to be part of that process. Boom. You see that? We have an exact parallel circumstance. And whether you're D versus R, again, I don't look at that way. I look at it like, you know, they're complaining and then they, they everyone complains. I mean, politics is complaining. Well, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. But it's what you do. It's your actions. Mitch McConnell blocked that Supreme Court nominee for 341 days so that he could have, they could have their own one, which is unprecedented in American history. Unprecedented by, by a long shot. The previous longest one was during Reagan of 130-some-odd days, right? And then they said, oh, yeah, we uh, definitely have to have Scott Brown in there when we're voting on the ACA. And the Democrats said, yep, Obama said, you're right. I agree. We got to get him in there. And they found a way to pass that through a supermajority with 60 votes and included Scott Brown. One of the things they had to do is they gave Scott Brown's uh, uh, contributors, donors, some big gifts in that they threw into Obamacare to get him to vote. Uh, look that up. It's a disgusting thing. But they did it. They did the compromise. They believed that, yes, Scott Brown was voted and therefore should be allowed to contribute to the circumstance. And it's that simple. So what happens next? Uh, are they going to pass it? I don't know. But it's just like the same way that Roy, George, Roy Jones's, uh, Roy Moore's candidacy in Alabama was a was a lose lose and a win lose lose for Republicans and a win win for Democrats because even if he had won, he'd go to the Senate and be a nightmare. In fact, one of the biggest sighs of relief was amongst the Republicans. Bob Corker came right out and said, "Yeah, this is much better. I'm so glad." Jeff Flake did. Mitch McConnell even privately admitted that he's much happier that he didn't make it. Well, the same thing will happen to tax cuts. If they don't get this through, well, they still embarrass themselves by demanding a tax cut, which would only favor the extremely rich and make the poor people pay for it. And if they do get it through, then they're genuinely on the record and they'll be killed by that vote. So I I say to you, Republicans, call your Republican senator or congressman and tell them to make sense. Tell them this is crazy. Coming up, uh, a moment that will... make you feel that we are more unified than it seems that when we return to possibility politics.
The final segment of Possibility Politics, the independent state of mind, where we look at this gorgeous country and all her complicated glory. She's high maintenance, and we just love her exactly the way she is. She's difficult, but she's awesome. She's worth it, right? This is really good stuff. Please bask in this. I know I am. I love it. Because if you believe in people and you believe in love over fear, kindness over cruelty, inspiration over desperation, you will always be right. If you make your observations and conclusions about where it's going based on those truths, you will always be right. Your timing might be off. I've certainly been guilty many times of feeling the next wave of expansion and change and progress and predicting it happening sooner than it actually did. But, you know, but in the case of some things, like the reckoning on our attempt for you know uh, gender and mutually beneficial gender experiences, <laughs> right? Because we're trying to get all that together. We're trying to uh, be for each other instead of against each other on our gender. And the sexual harassment front, uh, a bunch of stuff just keeps dropping. Uh, that's a reckoning and a reckoning is for sure. Russell Simmons, the famous you know hip hop mogul, nine more accusers of sexual misconduct, including rape accusations. He's in trouble. Uh, Batalia, right? The the chef all over television, Iron Chef and this and that, has had to walk away from his own company, like Weinstein, the own company of his own creation because of so much, uh, so many accusations. The latest one, hey, Morgan Spurlock, remember to supersize me and other things? He admits a history of sexual misconduct, potentially including rape. And that's been just staggering how fast this has moved. Now, is it all legitimate? There's going to be a few cases where... The pendulum is going to swing so far that there's going to be people that take advantage of it and go, well, I can accuse somebody and maybe take somebody down. There might be the case of this with Tavis Smiley, the PBS host. I don't know. I honestly do not know. No. But I wanted you to play. I wanted to play his response to his allegations that just occurred. Uh, what apparently occurred is that uh, anyway, if you're he had a PBS investigated, I, I think he'll say it all in this in this clip. Check it out. Hi, I'm Tavis. I was as shocked as you were to hear of PBS's sudden announcement regarding my television program. Let me say at the outset that I have the utmost respect for all women, and I certainly celebrate the courage of those women who've come forth of late to share their own truth. But let me also assure you that I have never groped, inappropriately exposed myself, or coerced any colleague in the workplace ever in my 30-year career. PBS launched this so-called investigation of me without ever even telling me about it. I only learned of this investigation because former colleagues, former staffers started to call me to tell me they were getting a phone call from some PBS investigator asking, number one, did Tavis ever make you feel uncomfortable in the workplace? And number two, can you give us other persons to call? Only after threatening a lawsuit did PBS investigators agree to sit down and talk to me for three hours. And even then, their minds must have been made up because almost immediately after that session ended, this story broke in variety. PBS investigators refused to look at any of my documentation, refused to talk to any of my current staffers, refused to give me the names of any of my accusers, and refused to give me any semblance of due process. It is clear that this has gone too far, and I, for one, intend to fight back. PBS overreacted and they launched a sloppy investigation. It's time for a real conversation in this country about where the lines are, about how men and women can engage each other in the workplace. And I look forward to actively participating 
in that conversation. I don't know if he's right or wrong. I don't know if he's innocent or guilty, but he is right about one thing as we have to have this conversation, where the line is, what is the context? He follows up on a written statement saying, if having a consensual relationship with a colleague years ago is the stuff that leads to this kind of public humiliation and personal destruction, heaven help us. Obviously, that implies that it was a consensual relationship and now she's uh, claiming that it was harassment. I don't know. We will find out about that one. Another one that occurred, Representative Dan Johnson of Kentucky, uh, self-styled Pope, as he called himself. He uh, was a pastor at the uh, Heart and Fire, Hearts of Fire Church. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, a really interesting thing. He had uh, a woman, Miranda Richmond, now 21, who'd been her pastor. Who uh, he'd been her, he had been her pastor and a close family friend. He sexually abused her in 2012 when she was 17, according to her. She said she'd been spending a night at Johnson's with Johnson's daughter when the pastor, apparently intoxicated, returned home and groped her breasts while she was sleeping on a sofa. Quote, he stuck his tongue in her mouth. Then he forced his hand down her pants and underneath her underwear and penetrated her with his finger. Nice. Graphic. Gross. He killed himself. He was found dead near a bridge on Mount Washington on Wednesday. Uh, the coroner has ruled his death a probable suicide. A gun was reportedly recovered near his body. That's where this is going. Meanwhile, Salma Hayek talked about Harvey Weinstein. She uh, sent, wow, I mean, this is quite a story. She did a New York Times op-ed, Harvey Weinstein is my monster too. Revealed how she would open the door to then Hollywood, you know, kingpin Harvey Weinstein during their filming of the 2002 film Freedom or that. And her he would say she said, quote, no to opening the door to him at all hours of the night, hotel after hotel, location after location where he would show up unexpectedly, including one location where I was doing a movie he wasn't even involved with. No to me taking a shower with him. No to letting him watch me take a shower. No to letting him give me a massage. No to letting a naked friend of his give me a massage. No to letting him give me oral sex. No to me getting naked with another woman. No, 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 no. When sweet talk persistence failed, she said, he would resort to Machiavellian rage. In an attack of fury, he said the terrifying words, I will kill you. Don't think I can't. This is the state of it. We've even had another case where uh, a woman named Ms. Heller, Timothy Heller, which is a, you think is a guy's name. In this case, it's a woman's name. She uh, admitted or acknowledged that Melanie Martinez, look her up, Google her, famous Melanie Martinez, uh, raped her, apparently. So now we've got a girl-on-girl accusation of rape. It just keeps going and getting deeper and deeper. But there's good news. Uh, I'm going to pivot quickly because we're getting towards the end of the show. There was a moment today because uh, the sexual harassment thing is going to is going to continue on. Uh, this is going to just it's very good for us, and we're going to get to the other side of this with some real clarity and some understanding that context matters. Anyway, uh, Megan McCain on the View. Joe Biden came on, and this will just remind you that no matter how partisan we get, no matter how much tribalism we have. Uh, there really is at the base of us, this is who we really are. Joe Biden himself is here. (laughs) All right, this is the hard part. Bear with me, okay? I couldn't get through your book, I tried. Your son, Bo, had the same cancer that my father was diagnosed with six months ago. And I'm sorry. There's a lot of hope. I think about Bo almost every day. And I was told, sorry. (laughs) that this doesn't 
that easier. But the you cultivate the tools to work with this and live with this. I know you and your family have been through a tragedy that I couldn't conceive of. Well, look, look, what look, would look, you look, tell look, people? Look, 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 it's look. not about me. It's about everyone. No, 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 no it, 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 it is about everyone. But look, um, one of the things that gave Bo courage, my word, was John. Mm-hmm. Your dad, you may remember when you were a little kid, your dad took care of my Bo. Your dad, when he was a mill aide, worked with me, became friends with Bo. And Bo talked about your dad's courage, not about illness, but about his courage. And if anybody can make it, your dad, her dad is one of my best friends. Best friends. Her dad, her, her dad goes after me, Hammer and Tom. We're, 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 we're like two brothers who were s- somehow raised by different fathers or something uh, because of our because of our points of view. But I know, and I mean this sincerely, and I've said it all, even when your dad got mad at me and so said I should get the hell off the ticket. Um, was, no. And, 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 and remember what I said about your dad? I said, I know, and I mean this sincerely, I know if I picked up the phone tonight and called John McCain yep. and said, John, I'm at Second and Vine in, in, in Oshkosh, uh, and I need your help, come. He'd get on a plane and come. And I would for him, too. And this yeah. is the guy. That's it. You know, Joe Biden, uh, everybody loves Uncle Joe Biden. One of the one of the great things about him is that he took he takes the right things personally. <laughs> he doesn't take it personally. One of the reasons why he's always been loved by both sides in the Senate in all his years there. And again, he's been there since he was 20, 26 years old. Yeah, um, because he ran so young. Anyway, they loved about him is that he doesn't take things personally. When somebody would disagree with them, he wouldn't turn it into some sort of revenge rage way to destroy them later. He would just go, gosh, I don't agree with you, but okay, all right, you know? And this moment with Megan, it was so beautiful because as soon as she starts to lose it, he gets up from his chair, you know, switches chairs with the other person sitting next to Megan so he can sit next to Megan and, you know, kind of hold her hand. It's just so sweet. And this is who we really are. And this is who we're bringing back out from within us in order to, you know, return us to what we know to be true. We're not this divisive, crazy, narcissistic, you know, people who are all out to just kill each other. And there's so much evidence of it. So I want to leave you with another fun thing, but to give you some quick headlines that are that are uh, going on. The net neutrality, the FCC is meeting as I speak now during the time of this taping. We'll see what happens there. Fox and Disney, big merger there where Disney's trying to acquire a massive quantity of uh, Fox's, you know, uh, product. Also, the, the the resignations continue in Congress where, one, Blake Flarenthold, the one who was uh, accused of, you know, sexual harassment as well, he's retiring. There's rumors that Paul Ryan is going to retire rather than face the humiliation of losing because he's not in actually a super red district. I think it's a plus t- a red, a deep or R plus 10, not one of these R plus 30s, you know, so he might actually, there's a high probability and his competitors, uh, the iron worker and I forgot the other one, I apologize. Uh, they are quality, uh, you know, real authentic folks that live in the district and speak in a way that resonates with where we are going. Um, Amarosa was escorted, not escorted, but she resigned. There's different stories whether she resigned or was escorted from the building. She resigned from the White House. 
There's so many. Never have there been more resignations and firings from the White House, I think, in the history of this White House. And, um, oh, yeah, I promised uh, the top lies of the year so far assembled by PolitiFact. Uh, we'll start from the bottom at number 10. Uh, Barack Obama said that Whoopi Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg said Barack Obama didn't do executive orders in the beginning. Yes, he did. That was a big lie. Second, Paul Ryan said uh, we've got dozens of counties around America that have zero insurers left for health care. Also, very big lie. Next one up, Maxine Waters, when she said, I have not called for impeachment of President Donald Trump. Yeah, 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 you have. Next one up, Tucker Carlson. The United States ended slavery around the world, and maybe we should get some credit for that, too. Yeah, no, slavery is not ended, and we didn't do it, Tucker. Uh, the next lie up on the list, Donald Trump said white nationalist, about white nationalist protesters in Charlottesville, quote, they had a permit. The other group didn't have a permit. Yeah, actually, they did. Next one up on the list, uh, Greg Gutfield said, every single year that there's an increase in temperature, it's within the margin of error, meaning it isn't increasing. There's your climate change lie. That was also very popular. Next, from Sean Spicer, getting to the top three now. Number three, the top three. That was the largest audience to witness an inauguration, period. <laughs> I love that one. The second biggest lie of the year was from Raul Labrador, the Republican congressman who said, nobody dies because they don't have access to health care. Yeah, they do. Tens of thousands. And the number one lie of 2017 by, of course, Donald Trump. This Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election that they should have won. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the top lies of 2017. And uh, one little happy note to end with. Uh, I teased it up at the top of the show about uh, this amazing, classy uh, celebrity named Amal Clooney and her entertainer husband, George. Uh, <laughs> they, When they went recently on their uh, flight, they had their two twins and they passed out noise-canceling headphones to everyone on their plane in case their twins, little Ella and Alexander, uh, made an inordinate amount of noise. And that is just totally classy. And along with the headphones, adorned with the logo of Clooney's Casamigos tequila brand, were notes apologizing ahead of time in case the six-month-old twins cried. Uh, and that is just sweet, because as you travel over this holiday, uh, we know how babies and travel and noise on planes. And this will help dramatically if you're on a plane with George... <laughs> Amal Clooney. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and thank you for seeing the beauty in what occurs here as we do it on Possibility Politics. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 